Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, Foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before them and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is God's holy word, amen. I wanna teach uh, in just a few minutes, uh, minutes this passage. I wanna teach it from the first person perspective of a character in the story, if that's okay. But first, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that our hearts would be open wide for you and make you room. And for the hearts that are struggling, that are bound up, that are oppressed, that are messy, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to gently and kindly open up our hearts and fill us with the good news of Jesus Christ. Everything about you we want to know and understand Everything that exudes from you, everything, every part of your character, every, th- uh, every uh, part of your uh, person, all of your works, deeds, and words, we want to soak them up. As the apostle wrote Hebrews declared, you are the full expression of the Father. And so those of us looking for cosmic answers, we pray that we would find them in you who holds all the riches of wisdom and knowledge in himself. You are the exact representation of the Father, the full expression of his glory. We want to sit at your feet like disciples, eating the bread that you give us. And may we be found full and yet longing for more. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, it's a little unnerving to find that 500 people are watching you drink water, huh? But anyway, off to a rough start. Hi. I'm one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, my name is not important. I figure you'll know about me plenty soon enough, in about a year. Um, about an hour ago, Our rabbi Jesus sent a couple of us, me included, on a radical excursion. 
with some very bizarre instructions. I just want to tell you about them because I just need some time to process what's been happening to me right now. And I have nobody to tell and I'm really thirsty. He tells us uh, as we're heading into the city, he, he, he pulls two of us aside and you know, we're his disciples. We, we saw this rabbi Jesus. We really approved of some of the things that he was saying and doing. We think he's special. We want to be like him. Check him out. Uh, as we're heading into the city, he pulls two of us aside and he says, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And he will send them at once. Okay, hold on. I, if this were anybody else, I would have looked at this guy and been like, you're crazy, you've been eating too much hummus, I'm following the next rabbi. But this is Jesus, he's done a few things, he's healed a few people, he's cast out a couple demons, I figure uh, I might as well trust him with this. He's a prophet after all, maybe he knows something that I don't. So me and my buddy, we head into the city, uh, into uh, one of the villages before the city, and we, we, we roll up down the main street, and sure enough, right in front of one of the inns is a donkey saddled up and tied to a post. Nobody's around the donkey. And so uh, my, my friend and I, we look at each other, and we're like, oh. So we just kind of edge closer, and nothing happens, and we, we walk up to the donkey, we untie it, and we start to lead it away, and my buddy is chuckling because this is actually working, and we get about 20 feet away from the inn, and this giant 200-pound Galilean bursts out the door screaming at us. And he's saying, you can't take that. That belongs to me. And we're about to book it, because this guy's huge. But then we remember the words of Jesus, and I look at my friend. He looks at me. He nods. I look over the guy who's just fuming. He's looking about ready to fight. And I, I look at him, and I, I glare into his eyes, and I say, the Lord has need of it. Half expecting him to just, just smack us in the face. The guy looks at us and for about a second just thinks, thinks quietly to himself. And then he says, okay. And he walks back into the inn. And me and my buddy have just been undone by that. The reason we haven't actually gotten to Jesus with our donkeys yet is because we've been going through all of Bethphage and Bethany trying this trick on various things. <laughs> oh, that pile of shawarma, God has need of it. Oh, that, uh, that thoroughbred camel uh, with uh, light mileage, uh, the Lord has need of it. Fig juice with antioxidants, the Lord has need of it. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked on any of those things, just the donkey. But we have the donkey, and we're uh, on our way back to Jesus. Now, the donkey's not important. Uh, the, the, the person was easy. We tried that, that little formula Jesus gave to us, and it worked on the person. He didn't say anything about the donkey or as we call it in the Middle East, an ass. Um, I don't know if you have any experience with asses, uh, but they can be very difficult. And specifically, I don't know if you have uh, experience with livestock, but this is one that we, we like to call unbroken, meaning, meaning it's never been ridden before, uh, otherwise known as wild. I don't care what the romantic uh, stories and myths tell you, there's no such thing as jumping on a wild animal and riding off into the sunset. Have you ever tried to jump onto a wild animal before? They will bite you and kick you and buck you off. 
So the person, the owner was easy. We did what Jesus said and we got the donkey, but the, the donkey itself has been a little difficult. And so uh, I've been just yanking it all across the village in order to get it to Jesus, which is why I was so thirsty a few minutes ago. And I have no idea how Jesus is actually going to saddle and ride this thing, but that's his problem. What's really important to me and to some of my comrades is where Jesus is planning on going. What's really exciting is that we are about to near the city of Jerusalem. I don't know where you guys are from or what your experience is or if you know anything about Jerusalem, but to the Jew, Jerusalem is everything. In fact, Psalm 48 in our Hebrew scriptures describes it as the city of the king. It is the kingly city. It's where the temple of God resides. It's where God's spirit dwells in tangible form. It is where every Jewish person that follows God desires to be. It is the centerpiece of God's activity on earth. It is the closest thing that you can get to heaven on earth. And what's really thrilling for me and some of my disciple friends is that up until this point, we've been growing a little restless. You see, we, we really believe that Jesus is something special. He's doing things that no other rabbi has done. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's saying things that makes the religious elite shut their mouths. When he speaks, he doesn't speak with pretense or hypocrisy. He speaks with authority, and you're listening to him, and you feel like your heart is being moved and yet up until this time, Jesus has been dinking around all the small towns along the coast of Galilee. I don't know if you know about starting giant movements, but I know a couple things. I've read a few things. You don't go to Galilee. You find the biggest city with the biggest platform, and you make a name for yourself. And so Jesus has been doing his thing you know, all along Galilee up until this point, but now we're heading into the city herself. The city of kings, we think he might be making his move in the next week or two. Some Messiah moves. If that's the case, that's really good news for my people, for the Jewish people, for the Jewish state. What it means for your typical Jewish person, if you're not fully aware of our background, is that we are about to be rescued. The Jewish people for centuries have been oppressed by every nation under the sun, and we have been crying out for God to send his promised Messiah to rescue, to deliver us, to conquer our enemies, to liberate us. This guy might be that liberator. It's not just good news for me, for my nation, it's, it's good news for everybody. It's good news for you. Just ask yourself this question. What kind of liberation are you longing for? What do you need to be set free from? What is that one part of your life that is uncontrollable, that you feel like you can't manage? And once you find that thing, you might be resonating with the same type of resonation that me and my people do. What kind of liberation are you longing for? Hold on, I'll be right back. Hold that thought.
Homero, 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 So I got the donkey to Jesus. That was actually a while ago, and you should have seen the things that unfolded after that. First of all, interesting thing that happened, the donkey was fighting and biting and gnawing and braying up until the point that we got it to Jesus, and for some reason it just kind of sat down immediately when it saw him. Weird. Anyway, I suspect that this might be the guy. This might be the one our our scriptures have been proclaiming since the very beginning. I think this might be it. Uh, 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 One thing that happened to confirm it is as we're riding into the city and Jesus is riding an unbroken donkey into Jerusalem and it's like this thing has been mastered for 10 years and we're riding into the city by ourselves, a little, little tribe of disciples, you know, and crowds begin to form around us. And they're doing all sorts of things. The crowd was spreading their cloaks on the road. And the others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And the crowds that went before Jesus, they were following him, shouting him, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were crying out, Hosanna in the highest. This might sound sensational to to some of you, but for, for a Hebrew, and for me specifically, something in my heart just leapt up into my throat as I begin to hear some of these connotations, you know what it means to lay down your coat in front of somebody? In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 12 through 13, Jehu rolls in on the scene, and some, uh, some of the people lay down on their knees, and they take off their coats, and they lay them before Jehu, proclaiming, Jehu is king. Laying down your coat was a sign of submission to a new king, a regime change. Branches, in Jewish thought, speak of victory and triumph. If you want to get real, it speaks of Jewish nationalism. It would be the equivalent of, I don't know, like you with a flag uh, tucked into the, the back of your chariot or whatever it is that you drive. It's Jewish nationalism. It's, it's pride and victory and triumph and hope. Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means save now or oh save us. But it's not just a a disconnected, arbitrary cry for help. It's always in the context of the Jewish people's suffering. We've been oppressed by every nation under the sun, it seems. And every time we are, we cry out, Hosanna. We're asking God, to send a delivering king to break us out of bondage. In this case, we're under the oppressive rule of the imperial Roman power, crying out, God, save us from oppression and injustice. We're thinking of the prophet Zechariah who says, behold, your king is coming to you, daughter of Zion. He's coming to you. And all of this is happening The king is coming to us, to the city of kings, as palms are laid down and coats are thrown on the ground as acts of submission and people are screaming out, save us from this oppressive tyrant. So I guess it's not just me and my comrades. It seems collectively in Israel, we all believe this is is actually the guy. 
He's going to give us the life we've always wanted. In order to do that, he's going to have to thwart our enemies, Rome. He's going to have to conquer them and push them down and smash them and kill all of our enemies and establish Israel as the superpower that it was back in the days of David and Joshua and Solomon. And when that happens, we'll all have thrones and they'll be awesome. This is the guy. He's going to give us what we want. We love Jesus. And we have a great plan for his life. You laugh, but you have your own plans. We all have something that we need freedom from. And probably most of us are busy right now coming up with our own solutions to what we think is wrong. How we envision liberation. I'm just giving you mine. What's yours? I hear a donkey. I'll be right back. Something's wrong. I can't put my finger on it. Everything else is lined up. It's just this one missing piece. I mean, the palm fronds, the coats, the popularity of the crowds. Everybody loves him. He's riding into the city. He's a miracle man. He's the Messiah. Everything is lining up for this great victory. There's just something about his original request that I can't quite place in the story. Usually when a warring king rushes into a city, they they rush in on a giant stallion. Jesus asked us to get a donkey. Horses are usually symbolic of war. Donkeys are symbolic of peace. Now, everything else in the story is lining up perfectly for a war. Except that Jesus is riding in on a symbol of peace. Now, granted, Zechariah chapter 9 does say that the king will come to you humble and mounted on a donkey. I must confess, I've never been able to make sense of that passage. I figured there was a reason that I, I was glancing over And part of it does make sense. You know, Jesus is definitely not like any leader I've ever seen. He's certainly humble. His entry into any city and into any room is always very low-key. There's not a, a lot of fanfare. He doesn't seem to love the recognition of crowds. He tries to stay away from them. He's always deferring attention When opposition comes his way, he never fights. He always serves, sometimes even his worst enemies. He's a very weird fellow. And it makes for some great dinner conversation, but I I have to confess, I don't really know how a leader like that can get by in real life. 
He must be taken off the mask at some point to show his, his, his aggressive side. Doesn't he know this is not how leadership works? Humble leadership? Turning the other cheek? Some of these things that he told us uh, as we were eating together? I mean, it sounds great. But certainly, he must know that this isn't the type, that's, that's not what wins the world. We want a revolution here. That's not how this works. Certainly, he must know that. Of course he does. What am I thinking? It's Jesus. He's the smartest man in the world. No, that's it. Maybe it's a ploy. Maybe it's all part of his master plan. Maybe as soon as he gets into the heart of Jerusalem, the donkey will transform into a war horse or something. I don't know. haven't figured it out yet. But I'm pretty sure he's going into Jerusalem. He's going to conquer our enemies. He's going to decimate the Roman Empire. And I'm going to have the glossiest throne in J-Town that anyone has ever seen bossing everybody around. And I hope you're on my side. I just still have this strange feeling. You know, like sometimes the, the ways that he talks to us. The ways that he speaks about his enemies and kingdoms and worldly powers are not what I would expect. It's, there are a couple times where he keeps speaking about the hour that is to come and he gets all solemn and quiet and goes off to pray. It's almost like he's preparing to give up. And to be quite honest, I know this is completely bizarre and probably far-fetched, but... There were a couple times where the way he spoke made it sound like he was actually wanting to die. Nah, <laughs> it's probably metaphorical. My throne's going to be awesome. And you know, if my hunch is correct, and there is some problems on the way to victory, if anyone tries to mess with Jesus, I'll cut their ear off. I'll save him. Looks like we got a plan. You do, after all, if you're going to get ahead in this life, got to watch out for yourself. You got to take what's been taken from you, got to fight for your life. Got to grab onto the prize. That's what Jesus is going to do, I think. Can't wait for my throne. Anyway, I got to go. See you on the other side when the kingdom comes. Hey, it's Lazo again.
Ran into the weirdest guy behind the stage. Told him, man, you can't bring animals into a high school. Do you know what Palm Sunday is really about? It's about liberation. It's about people in a world that have been in bondage, that can't get out, and it's about a great liberator coming to free them and to heal them. The problem is, the problem with me, with some of the disciples, perhaps with some of us in this room, is that we think we know what we need liberation from, and it's usually something out there. And if you're like me, you spend a lot of time concocting a solution to your problems. We're saving ourselves. We could describe this as building our own little kingdom to save us from from all the difficulties that we are facing. It's our own little semblance of control in our life. But true freedom comes first from recognizing you're not as in control as you thought you were. Palm Sunday is a triumphal entry, all right. Jesus stormed the gates. He just did it differently than what people were expecting. Jesus was announcing that there was a true king himself, the king of the world, and he had arrived, and he was planning on setting everything right. It just wasn't the way that most people expected and probably still not the way people expect today. He came not to destroy his enemies, not to make our lives comfortable, but to give himself to his enemies in a stunning display of self-sacrificial humility and love. He did the opposite of what systematic world powers do today. He dies giving all of himself to people who didn't even deserve it. In that way, Christ's kingdom often confronts our own because my general default to the world around me, to relationships in my life, to the things that are going on in my life is to assert control and power and to, con- uh, to continue to prop up that projection that I put up there that says, I've got this all together. I can manage. And Christ wants to shatter the walls of that kingdom, not only in my life but in yours as well. And the most liberating thing that you and I can do is to get to a place where we know experientially and truly, I am not in control of my life. I need a liberator to come into my life and to do with my life, not my agenda, not what I want to do, but whatever he desires. True freedom and liberation comes not from asserting control, but by giving up our desire for control in order to submit to a good king that we trust loves us dearly. Brothers and sisters, Palm Sunday is about a good king who loves you dearly. And you are dearly loved, but you're also dearly messed up. Aren't we all? The beauty of the gospel is that Paul says that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. Sometimes his kindness prods at us, but it's always good. As we sing this morning, I want you to let him confront you in his kindness. Whatever it is that's in your life that you're, you're, you're grasping on, whatever you're seeking control through, whatever semblance that you're propping up to make yourself feel better, 
allow Christ to confront and prod. And my prayer for you and my prayer for me today is that Christ would make his triumphal entry into your heart and into mine as well. Heavenly Father, do these things among us in Jesus' name. Amen.